You can either work in the business or you can work on the business. They have the knowledge and skill to be successful. Yesterday is gone and tomorrow has yet to come. Dive all in on the next chapter of your life. Welcome to the ProServe podcast, a podcast for leaders of thriving boutique professional services firms. For those that are not familiar with us, Collective 54 is the first mastermind community focused entirely on the unique needs of founders of boutique pro-serve firms. My name is Greg Alexander. I'm going to be your host. And on today's show, we're going to do something a little different. Normally, um, for regular listeners, listeners, you know this, we, we take a single topic and kind of dive deep on it with the objective of you know making, making the most of a short 15-minute show. Today, we're going to com- uh, combine multiple things, and we're going to have a case study of sorts. And it's it's not a case study in the sense of, you know, hey, look how great we are. I'm not a fan of those. It's a case study in the sense of, hey, members, here's how to get some of these ideas implemented. I hear sometimes from members that the ideas they're getting from Collective 54 are great, but there's a lot of them, you know, and how do you get them implemented? And we've got a great role model in Jamie Harvey, and Jamie has done in my opinion, an exceptional job of going from idea to implementation in a nanosecond. And uh, he's learned a lot on the process and has gotten some great results. So uh, that's what we're going to do today. So Jamie, if you wouldn't mind, please introduce yourself and your firm to the group. Yeah, great. Uh, I'm Jamie Harvey. I'm the CEO of Agilion. Um, We are a boutique consulting firm. We serve social equity enterprises um, and we provide digital liberation services. So basically, we work with um, enterprises that are serving uh, social equity populations, vulnerable populations of people that are that need housing or jobs or healthcare, um, and we help the, those organizations move to 21st century open source cloud-based digital platforms. Most of them are stuck on something developed in the 70s or 80s, and it's very, very complex for them to move because of their regulatory environments, and and, uh, it's our privilege to help them do that. Okay, very good. So I'm going to kind of tee up some statements as opposed to questions, and I'm going to let you run with those to, uh, to really illustrate, and I really want you to focus on this idea of how idea to implementation. Okay. So the first one is you got everybody billable. And as a result of this, you saw a growth in profits and revenue. So tell us a little bit about how you did that. Well, a, a little background, you know, I would say a year and a half, two years ago, before I joined Collective 54, we were sort of a, a lifestyle business serving state and local governments. And we were kind of trapped in our locality because I used to work for the DC government and we were a local DC cover- company and the regulations are such that we're very advantaged to work in DC and not very advantaged to go to other states. So we we had sort of a digital liberation problem ourselves. <laughs> and uh, and I was trying to fi- I was like I was like okay this business is nice it's a great lifestyle business you know and it is we love what we do and we're really good at it. But like if I looked at like how I could grow the business, it was all pretty unappealing, right? Like the 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 paths I could become a federal integrator like this well worn. I could go to other states. I'd have to like recorporate to do that. But it was it was not great for growth. And so I was looking for a way to um, uh, have a great business, have a business that's built to last, have something generational that I could pass on to other people and could make a big difference for a long time. And um, and 
Collection 54 reached out to me and was like, hey, we have this <laughs> we have this mastermind group. This is what we do. Um, and, and you couldn't have picked a better time for that because I was um, I was trying to figure out how to transform this whole business to be something special. Right. And we were going we tend to win projects. I would say we kind of box above our weight class. So we had won a lot of you know, quite large projects for a company our size. And and I have sort of a machine here that that where I can do those projects. Um, and I was trying to figure out how to grow enough to do these big projects at the same time I was doing the projects. So I, I had invested a lot in infrastructure, like infrastructure in people like a COO and a CIO. And I brought in a professional services automation system, a PSA based on your guys' recommendation. And we had made all of this investment and we, we had a really good year. We doubled in size, uh, you know, last year and, but our profitability went way down. Like we, like, like we had a, we had doubled in size and we made the same amount of money. <laughs> so our profitability was kind of bad. Right. And, um, and it was a little, you know, I, I knew we were investing. It wasn't that big a shock, but I was, it was a little startling. So something that I had done that I didn't know was, so useful was I had hired these kind of multi-potentiate people that had really great skill sets that other than what I was having them do. So like my VP of program management is built, you know, three giant government data warehouses and he's a real expert in that. And my COO is used to be the past president of the DC bar and my chief medical informatics officer ran interoperability for all the EHRs in the, mid-Atlantic region. So um, I basically went to them and those were people who were mainly not billable, who were sort of central people. And I was like, look, you'd be great consultants. We, you know, like you, our customers would love you. Um, you know, I know I didn't hire you for this, but are you willing to get billable? Hmm. And to a person, they were all like, of course, oh my gosh, we would do anything, <laughs> do anything <laughs> for this company, right? And so we, we really like took Oh, and then I had another person who was like less senior who wanted to learn to be a, a project manager. Like she wanted to get her PMP, like she was sort of interested in the consulting path. So we re-engineered everybody's jobs and we got everybody on the senior team, with the exception of one person, um, at least half billable. And some people, you know, like 70, 80% billable. And um, with the hope that that would be kind of the best of both worlds and also give us some flex as we, as we take on these large projects, we could get them billable. And then, you know, as we're doing the next lump, we, we have the feast and famine yep. thing going on for them. Right. So now everybody can flex to being billable when they, uh, when, when, when there's billable to be had, right. And they can go back to their other jobs in between to go build the business otherwise. Yep. It's a great story. Because sometimes that's a mistake that members make is, you know, they invest in the future, which we advocate for. And then all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, revenue looks great, but margins doesn't. It's because they got all this non-billable stuff. So the lesson there for the members is to got to get everybody we, billable. And we made that mistake, right? Yeah. And so it was, this was the correction of it, really. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. All right. The next thing I want to talk to you about is the seller-doer model and how you moved to that. So uh, you at one point in one of your podcasts were like, you know, 
don't just go out there and hire a salesperson. You can hire the best salesperson in the world. And if you're not ready to do it and you don't have your positioning right and you haven't, you know, that's not going to work, right? Like you're going to just bring that person over and they're going to have been successful someplace else and they're going to fail at your company. So I did that. You know, I, <laughs> I brought in an incredible executive from Oracle and like we, and he was great and he fit the, like he worked really hard, but we had no presence in the market, right? Like mm -hmm. we had no story about who we were. We had no differentiation. Um, and so, you know, eventually we, you know, we had this very sad conversation of like, you know, we love you. We think you're great. And like, we weren't ready for you. Right. Um, and um, parted friends, you know, and, but, but basically the conclusion I came to and, and, and then, uh, then I, I had done all the selling before, and then I went back to doing all the selling again. Um, but the conclusion I came to was for the kind of complex, you know, big, uh, digital liberation kind of engagements that we're selling, it's very hard for somebody to sell that that hasn't done it, yeah. right? Like if you're in front of customers and you don't know the regulations around EHRs for interoperability when you're talking to people who are doing that, they smell that right away, right? Like they they don't really want to talk to any salespeople, right? So all of those sort of multi-potentiate people that I was talking about before, God, I hope that's a word as I'm saying it, on a podcast, but it is um, now. <laughs> okay, it is now, right? Yeah. They now what we do is, you know, they uh, they all went to their Rolodexes. We th they all went through their Rolodexes, sorted through, found all the social equity enterprises where they've got relationships, and and I've been coaching them in a in a consultative sales model. So they're selling, doing right, and. When we get leads, if they're in the medical area, they go to Ross, who's the, the medical person. If they're in the legal area, they go to Anna Maria, who's my, you know, so we actually have these, uh, we've, we've organized it by vertical and people, yep. right? And so what's great about that is uh, I, I actually, you know, and they just bring me in to close the sale sometime or, or make the introduction. Like I'm, I'm, I don't have to be that involved because when, when those customers are talking, they really want to talk to those people. Yeah. Right. Like I'm, I'm the generalist compared to those folks. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm the generalist and they're the specialist and, and they can close the deal by themselves. Yeah. Just another great example, because, you know, I'll hear from members, Hey, my delivery people, and I hate that label, but that's the term that's used. They don't want to sell, you know, I can't get them to contribute to the growth of the company. And the answer is you can, I mean, this is how, this is how Jamie just did it. And, Everybody was responsible for finding opportunity, and then the selling environment, as you just heard from from Jamie, was it was a collaborative one. He was involved when needed, but not involved when not needed, and that's how you do it. And that's called the seller doer model. So, if you've tried investing in the high powered, you know, senior exec salesperson, and it hasn't worked, this is the alternative to that, and give it a try. And it's just a proof point that it can work in the right situation. It's more of a mentality and a cultural thing than anything else. Just another great example of going from idea to implementation. All right, my next question, Jamie, is talk a little bit about you personally and how your day-to-day -day life has changed as you've taken some of these ideas that you've come across and implemented them in your firm. So, you know, um, I don't know if you remember this, Greg, but when I first joined, you know, I'm, I'm a I was really hungry for this framework. Let me mm -hmm. let me start by saying that. That's why I read the book once. I read the book twice and I took notes the second time right? <laughs> I went through and I ended up with like, here are the 86 things that I must do. <laughs> and I, I, I scheduled a session with you and I was like, 
Craig, what do I do first? Right? Like, I, like, I can't possibly do this all. And and you were like, they're in order. I'm like, what? And they were like, yeah, start with chapter one, do those first and then do chapter two. Right? So, so about nine months ago, we spent a lot of time on chapter one and chapter two, which are getting your target market specific. So, you know, the, the, the big thing is like, we've, and we are a very socially conscious firm. Like one of our core values is social equity, right? Another one of our another one of our core values is um, mutual liberation. Like we are we are unabashed do-gooders, right? And and my pe- people come and work for me, like they're there because they want to help, you know, poor disabled children, right? Mm-hmm. Like, which is what we do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with you know, with one of our uh, showcase clients, right? Um, so. So we stopped saying to people, hey, we do state and local government work. And we started saying to people, hey, we work with social equity enterprises. You know, and if you're in a regulated environment, we understand that better than you do, right? For for the funding streams that you gotta align, and we can help you fund your big projects. And that message is so specific, right, to like a particular audience of people that those people are beginning to find us. So so that is a totally different world to live in, uh-huh. right? And and it feels great for everybody because now our inward expression of who we are, which are these you know unabashed do-gooders, um, is aligned with our external presentation of like, hey, this is what we do for a living, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's this pull that you know where you're you're paddling the canoe in the river, the, the direction the river is going. Yep. So I, like that is like a very very big you know game changing transformation we've gone through as a result of being in Collective Fifty Four. Mm-hmm. Now, I want a follow-up question on your day-to-day. Sometimes I hear from members, hey, these are all great ideas, but I don't have any time to do them. I'm just too busy. I can't get to them. And I remember our early conversations, and you were a pretty busy guy, but you figured out how to to get to these items, and and you've made all these changes, and the firm has thrived as a result. I mean, so literally, like, how did you create the time to spend the necessary time on these items? Because these aren't small items. Well, I... I hired very great, very senior talent. So I didn't really I, like, like on some, so there was a, there was an investment, right. For sure. And, um, and I am a talent magnet, thank mm-hmm. goodness. Right. And the way that we've constructed the company has created a multiplying effect for that. where like people who want to do what we do are finding us now, mm-hmm. right. Like across the country, which is, you know, amazing, uh, an amazing privilege too. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, it's, you know, I did most of my changes before you did the founder bottleneck book. Yep. Um, but like by the time I read the founder bottleneck and I, I did that diagnostic, I was no longer, I had replaced myself 80% yeah. already. Right. And the last, and I knew the last remaining one was the sales, which is what we're doing with the seller doer model. Um, so uh, large it's, 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 I didn't, and I got a lot of work to do. Like I could go into that, which is probably a different topic, but like on some level, like the, the big boulders had sort of, have sort of been handled. And I, uh, I have really been able to, to focus on strategy, coaching, developing high potential people. Yep. Because, and, because you removed yourself as the bottleneck. You hired a great team and that freed you up to do all these things. And, you know, in, in Jamie's example, I mean, he had a great lifestyle business and he could have continued on that, but he wanted more and therefore he had to make the investment. 
and he made the investment by hiring the right people, gave him back the time, and boom, here we are, right? So that's the decision that we all have to make. Do we really want to be more than a lifestyle business? If so, are we willing to make the right investment to free ourselves up? The other big change, of course, is our gross our gross margins went from 17% to 35%, and our our net margins went from like 8% to 25%. So, um, which I think is what got your attention about this story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it jumped off the table at me <laughs> because because I know the investments you made also because, I mean, you could say, like, how is that even possible? You made all these investments, which would depress margins, but you made all these investments and the opposite happened. You know, the margins and tripled. So help the audience understand that. Well, partially it's phasing. Like the investments actually depressed the margin one year and then and then they sprung back, they sprung back and then we saw the return, right? Got it. Um, so um, our business is, you know, I've talked to a lot of other members of Collective 54. Um, our business is lumpier. Our, our deals are, are big, are bigger than most of the deals in the collective and they last longer, right? Yep. So stuff develops more slowly for me. My sales cycles are longer, right? Like, so we're, we're doing a lot of stuff that doesn't show up the year that we do it. Got right. It. it very often, if we're, we're seeing the results the next year. Um, and part of, you know, but you know, on some level, like what are the changes we made? We got the people, we got people billable. That's going to make you more profitable. Yep. We, we got rid of salespeople and we had that consultants do that. That's yep. going to make us more profitable. Um, we, uh, we raised our prices. Like uh, yep. we I don't skip over that, like, um, because of our positioning, we were able to demand a premium and, 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 you know, compared to the other alternatives in the market that do what we do, we're much, le- we're still much less expensive than, than the bigs, right. Who are the people that are able to do what we do. So, um, so all of that, you know, we now know that when we're humming, like those are the normal margins that we ought to make. Um, and we know we've got weaknesses because of the lumpiness, um, partially because like last quarter, our main client, which is the DC government contracted and, and a bunch of contracts went away. Right. Mm And, um, and we felt that very badly, but because we were running a healthier business, we were better able to, to ourselves through that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, you are the quintessential role model for the boutique framework. Um, And it was great to have this kind of macro conversation to see how multiple things combined together produce the end result. So I want to make sure I leave a call to action for the members. When you get the meeting invite link for the private Q&A session we'll have with Jamie, please accept it and attend. And you can really dive in and ask your direct questions of him as to how he pulled this this mor- miraculous story off. There's, there's a lot more to it than we can cover in a short podcast. So please attend. If you're not a member, you should consider being one. Go to collective54.com, fill out the contact us form, and somebody will get in contact with you. And if you haven't yet had a chance to read the books that Jamie referenced, uh, The Boutique, How to Start, Scale, and Sell a Pro-Serve Firm. And then for members, if you want to eliminate the time constraints on yourself, check out the founder bottleneck. But with that, Jamie, I just want to thank you for the contribution you made. You know, we're trying to make deposits in the collective body of knowledge and you're constantly doing that. So on behalf of all the members, thank you so much for being part of our community. Thank you. It's, it's really a privilege. Thank you. Great. Okay. With that, I wish everybody the best of luck as they try to grow scale and exit their firms. And until the next episode, go get them. 